sacred dance in Jesus' name. Thank all of you for your kindness. And I brought with me to the platform another one of our, our pastors in the children's ministry. And uh, I think it would be very good for us right now to thank God specifically for bus ministry. Now, those of you that are involved in bus ministry, I really would like for you, oh, I wish I could tell everybody that's involved in bus ministry to stand up on the pew because I don't want everybody to sit down and have to stand up again. But those of you that are involved in bus ministry, I want you to hold your hand up real high to where everybody can see it. Church, look around at those that are involved in bus ministry. Please look around. This is awesome. Now let me ask you this. Do you ever wonder why bus ministry? And those of you precious people that teach in the Sunday school department, I hope you don't ever ask yourself why. Because if you have to ask yourself why, you'd probably wonder why Jesus or why you'd think Jesus wondered why he run into the woman at the well. You don't run into questions when you're doing the mission that you've been assigned to do. And if you want to know what's going on and what's happening, let me let our, our children's ministry pastor tell you what has happened just today as a result. Now, I'm, I'm prefacing this because I want you to get this point. What happened today had to do with bus ministry kids, not Eastwood kids. Now, the reason I make a differentiation is because I want everybody to understand that we're not talking about our own kids that receive. Maybe, maybe there's some mixed in there. But the most of what happened today was a result of bus ministry and kids from bus ministry. I want you to rejoice as Brother Kevin Merriman tells us a little bit about what happened today. Come on, Baba. This, this morning in Sunday school... We pulled three classes together, 5th, 6th, and 7th grade, and we just, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a baptism, and we wanted to capitalize on that, and so we pulled these three classes together, taught a, a simple little quick lesson, but God had a plan. And Pastor, you're, you're hitting it right on about bus ministry. We had 12 children this morning receive the Holy Ghost in Sunday school. And if I'm not mistaken, every single one of them came on a bus. We are reaching our kids, not those that are here, but those that have no other hope, that have no other chance of life giving them any type of success. 
And because of the efforts of this team that raised their hands, their lives were changed this morning. And then tonight in Power Rage, we had six more. Five of those came on vans or buses to Power Rage, got the Holy Ghost tonight. Eighteen kids receiving the Holy Ghost. You're awesome. And I know that you know, it's great to hear the report, and you would have all loved to have been there to experience it, but uh, we, we're going to get, you're going to get to experience just a little bit of our excitement, because one of the young men that got the Holy Ghost tonight in Power Age brought his mom to me, and oh, I've got to, I've got to get baptized. He's going to get baptized tonight, little Grant Hickenbottom is going to get baptized, so you're going to get to enjoy the harvest that God is bringing. That is so awesome. That's what it's all about, church. That's what it's all about. The thing that we are mandated to do is to impact them enough while we have them here so that if the families, if, if life or whatever pulls them away for whatever period of time, wherever they are in life and need an answer, their mind will always go back to when they visited that church on I-10 at 171 and Opelousa Street and I got a hold of something there that gave me an answer then and I got to look it up again. How many have we had to come in that got their start in this church in a Sunday school program? It takes a long time to build a church and it takes a lot of sowing seed it takes an awful lot of effort but you see what has happened in this day and this is just a part of the things that have gone on for a long time a lot of which is testified about by people that are in this congregation right here tonight. Somebody got to start in a Sunday school class, on a bus ministry. Somebody got to start. So that's what it's, church, that's what it's about. Everybody say, we are in the right direction when we are involved in the thing for which Christ died. Well, praise God. Is anybody ready to let me preach a little bit tonight? I want to turn your attention to Ruth chapter 1. And I want to read just a few verses and then come to some of the conclusions from an experience that's probably one of the most familiar experiences of the Bible. It's a little four-chapter book. But believe me, that story carries, carries an impact that is worthy 
of our consideration. I really would like to talk to some people here tonight that would like to have a little better understanding about God's take on things, how God views things, and what God loves about the way we view things. Many times God does not respond just by what he thinks about a thing. He it comes into play how we feel about the thing and how we feel about it a lot of times dictates what God's going to do about it. I, I, there's just some things that I want to I want to share with you not perhaps well let me uh, I wanted to give you just a little synopsis but maybe I can weave it in and work it in into the story that you will understand what I feel like this message is all about tonight. Church, there's no way that we can be overcautious about making sure that decisions we make are God-oriented and god inspired and God directed does anybody remember pastor preaching a sermon some time ago decisions that I made that I did not know I had made the sermon deals with decisions that you make today and how they affect the furthest reach of your days on this earth and you made it in one day, not knowing what it was going to decide for you in years to come. Again, I come back with something that God has dealt with me about for years. And I have preached at different times about this. But I come back again tonight, starting with Ruth chapter 1. And I want to read, first of all, uh, chapter... 1 verses 1 through 5. I'll tell you what let's do. Why don't we go ahead and pray right now and then I'll just read the scriptures as I minister and we can pray right now as we're standing. And I really would like for you to pray that God would anoint our ears, that he would melt our hearts together, and above all that he would bless this feeble servant of the Lord and anoint my lips and my mind and my spirit. I want God to articulate what happens here tonight, even the words that come out of pastor's mouth. Would you lift your hands and your voices and let's intercede to the Lord for just a moment. Not a courtesy prayer. Let's call on God, church. Father, in your name, we want the mind of God. We want the mind of God. We want the secrets of the Lord. We want to hear the things that we need to pick up about how you feel about things, your take on things, and then even when we make mistakes, the attitude that you like for us to have, for you to come in with grace and intervention and do the things that we can't do to make the best of the situations that we're dealing with. God, let us learn tonight and let us be anointed of the Holy Ghost 
anoint my lips and my spirit as I talk to this church. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This is the facts of the story. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife, and his two sons. And the name of the man was Emelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. And Malon and Chilion died also. Both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. The facts of the story are simple. And I will reiterate just a point or two, three here, so that we are all on board with what happened. Things were not so well in Israel. Things got a little tough in Israel. In fact, things got just a little uncomfortable in Israel because Israel was experiencing a famine In chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, things had deteriorated in Naomi's life 
to such a degree. I don't know how long she had been there, perhaps when Elimelech died. But all of this happened within a period of about 10 years. The scripture said they were there in Moab about 10 years. So it didn't take long for whatever this was that was following or dogging her steps. It didn't take long for it to go to showing up. Elimelech died. Then the two boys, Malan and Chilean, they grew old enough at this particular time that they got the eye on the girls. And this is one thing that I would like to point out here because I may not come back and cover some of these points that are offering such unbelievable points to inject some teaching but I do not want to overplay or overstay myself here tonight one of the things that needs to be considered so very very strongly and with with such prayer and supplication God is if you're going to do something that is not going to be kosher with God please check yourself out because you may be creating a situation that you may be able to handle and you may recover from a mistake that you make. But things that happen to your children while they're out from under the umbrella of that holy hand of God on their lives. Many times things happen that they never have a chance to recover from. Malin, Chilean, like young people are going to do, they found themselves a companion. But the sad thing was that the only thing they had to choose from was Moabite. Because mom and dad had decided to ease the pressure on themselves and to go take a sojourn to another country. I'm not pausing here because I don't have something to say. And I want what I feel the Holy Ghost is wanting to get across to some precious people in this house. I want it to have time to sink in and perhaps even gel while I'm preaching this sermon. 
somebody hear me tonight. Decisions that you make don't just affect you. They affect your heritage and your children from now on. Who wouldn't stand at the bedside of starving kids going to bed with their little stomachs empty, crying, I'm hungry? I understand that. Or I say I understand it. I've never experienced it. But... To whatever compassion that I have, I, I, can, I can fathom that. Let me say it that way. I can at least fathom that. But I want in the, rest of this, uh, the rest of this story, I want you to understand that there are some things that are worse than hunger. I know you're waiting for me to, uh, to prove that or explain that, but I want to say it again because I want somebody that just because pastor said it, you understand and you say, hey, he's going somewhere with this. I want somebody to understand if Israel is in a famine, remember there are some things worse than hunger. to some of us and I wouldn't I wouldn't be too hard pressed to call a few names here some of us it don't seem like that there's much worse than hunger because you can tell we have as my grandpa Wilkes would say we ain't done a lot of it hungering But for those, some that would like for me to qualify a little bit, I have known what hunger was. And it has not been so much hunger because I couldn't have gotten something or didn't have any money whatsoever to have. But sometimes hunger in the inward man supersedes the hunger of the outward man. So you just go ahead and let the outward man hunger with the inward man. Is that, you, you understand what I'm saying there? And I've said before that Naomi and Elimelech they decided to choose what they chose and that was to perhaps relieve themselves of the suffering, their children of the suffering, and they decided to go on a sojourn to another country to help the situation. They didn't intend to worsen the situation. 
They wanted to help. But the bottom line was, if anybody made it through the famine, it's a foregone conclusion that Naomi and Elimelech could have made it as well. So, in other words, it was not an impossibility that they just were pressed and had to do something. Somebody said some, I've heard it so many times, well, we got to do something if we do it wrong. I beg to differ with you. You don't do anything just because it's time to do something. If you haven't found out what's right to do, you just hold your horses and do, do nothing until you get direction from the man that's calling the shots and orchestrating the whole thing. Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says in Moab, she, talking about Naomi, heard from home of how God had visited his people in giving them bread. Everybody say it with me. God's always going to come through. Whatever is happening, it's not here for always. Somewhere, things are going to get better. And in Moab, now here she is, a widow. She's got two daughter-in-laws who are also widow, wid widows because of the loss of Malan and Chilean, and now she's hearing that God is visiting his people again in Bethlehem, Judah, in giving them bread. So Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah started on their way to return to the land of Judah. Ruth 1.19 says, well, there's a lot of, a, a lot of stuff that goes on in there starting on the journey and R R Naomi talking to the girls about you stay here with your people and and, and they first said, no, we want to go with you. But then they get out where they've got to make the decision either to go on the journey or go back home. And we know that Orpah chose to go back to her people in Moab. But that's when Ruth made that, that declaration that is talked about and sung about all over this country. She said, entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. 
and whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. So Ruth now and Naomi made it back to Bethlehem. And chap, verse 19 of that chapter says that the people, when they lifted their eyes from the field, the people was moved about them. They saw them coming and the people were moved and evidently they saw there was something different. There was something that was noteworthy. And then the question when they were moved, I'm talking about the people out in the fields and in the countryside, when they saw and were moved, the next question was, is this not Naomi? Evidently, Naomi was close enough that she heard their question. Before I go to Naomi's response, I would like to share with you that up until this point, the writer of the book is silent up until this point about the sojourn to Moab. Now, you've got to get this right here. Would you, would you say that with me? Up until this point, the writer of the book was totally silent about the sojourn to Moab. Up until this point, no stones have been cast, no accusations have been made, no one has branded the sojourn right or wrong. No one has said, well, Naomi and Elimelech backslid. That has not come out of anybody's mouth. No one has said it. No one has brought up the negatives about the trip. Nobody has blamed her for losing her husband and her sons because they made a foolish choice and went to Moab. Nobody brought it up. Would you say that with me? Nobody brought it up. But listen to Naomi now. When they said, is this not Naomi? Naomi is the one who brought in the negative aspect 
of the journey. She's the one that came out with the observation about the results of that sojourn. She's the one that said it herself. And I want somebody to hear me tonight when I tell you this is one of the most important stories you'll find in the Bible because you don't just find where people can make mistakes. You understand through this where if people will be honest about their mistakes, they can have the help and the assistance of God to bring them through that thing and God will help them make the best out of a bad situation. Come on, the church. Don't, don't just sit there now. I'm, I'm, I'm about ready to preach to you for just a few minutes here, and it's not going to take me long. If you try to keep on petting your own ideas and doing it your way and justifying yourself when you're feeling in your heart there's something that's not right about this, you better check yourself again and again and again and again. And don't listen to somebody else that's accusing you. Don't listen to somebody else that's got a bunch of bear tails going on it. You listen to your heart. And if you have done wrong in the sight of God, the best thing you can do is to be honest about it and say, I haven't done everything right, but God is going to help me. Somebody say yes. We're human, and we're going to make mistakes. And sometimes we're going to make faulty decisions. But when you find that you've made a faulty decision, don't keep on trying to justify yourself. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? If you want to go on and, and, and live out what you have started with your mistake, you keep trying to justify yourself and you'll have to live with the end result of it. But if you'll be honest enough and clean enough and pure enough to say, I didn't do it right. I made a mistake. There's a God in heaven that will come to your rescue and he will fix things that you never dreamed he could fix. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. Does anybody feel like doing a little shuffle with me here tonight? Somebody scream, yes! When they said, is this Naomi? Naomi. Nobody else had accused her. Nobody else had thrown stones at her. Nobody else had prejudged her. That they just made a mistake. They were backslidden and no. Nobody said any of that. But Naomi's the one.
who evaluated their decision to do what she and her husband did. Verse 20. When she heard, is this Naomi? She lifts her voice and says, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. I learned that the name Naomi in one word simply means pleasant. But Mara with just one word definitions means sad. And then she goes on after that immortal statement, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. But then this is her words. Not an accuser. This is her words. The Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And then, listen to this. She left because of a famine. But listen to this statement and admission. I went out full. And the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Everybody say, I went out full. And she left because of a famine. But looking back in retrospect, she's saying, I went out full. In other words, she went out with things that were more dear to her than just to have a, a meal at a table. So I'm telling somebody again, there are some things that's worse than hunger. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I went out full. Looking back at it now, I was not even in need. I just went out. Full. But God hath brought me back home again, empty. And then she winds up by saying, The Lord hath testified against me. The Almighty hath afflicted me. Church, in today's world, one of the things that we find most difficult for people to do is to admit their error. They can find any number of people to blame their mistake on. And when they can't think of somebody, 
Well, then society is helping them out by saying if there's some misnomer in their life or some, some, some out of kelter or something happening, well, it was because of some abuse that they've suffered. Well, if you want to talk about abuse, my mother and daddy loved me and they fed me and all this kind of stuff, but my mom and daddy whooped me. I'm telling you, my mom and dad laid some stuff on me that if it was today, I'm afraid mom and daddy, if they were found out, would go to jail. And I know we're living in a different time, but somebody hear me tonight. All of this business that we are being fed in today's society is not going to hold up for all of us because there are some things that we do ourselves and mistakes that we make and we'll never get the favor of God on our lives until we own up to our mistake and confess ourselves and go ahead and be honest enough and say, I did wrong, I didn't do it right, and I've got to have God to help me. Somebody tighten your seatbelt. But we're living in a society today that your guilt or innocence over a situation is not necessarily determined by the evidence. It can be determined by what nationality you are or what color your skin is before the evidence ever plays a part in whether you're guilty or whether you're not guilty. Somebody hear me tonight. We've got to be honest before God. Somebody hear me tonight. We've got to be honest before God. Because it's our honesty before God that's going to be predetermined what God's going to do about it. When that little old darling was as honest as she was about what she and her precious husband had done and the fact that she had lost her husband, lost her boys, and now coming back home because she had heard that God had visited again and she wanted to get back in, back in where revival was happening. Make it back in where bread is on the table. Make it back in to where the needs can be supplied, to where there's kinsmen and and family members and people that love you that can help sustain you and they're not all always there 
to criticize you and prejudge you and, 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 and cast stones at you. Is somebody here? I want somebody to hear me tonight when I tell you that everybody is not your enemy. The devil wants to make every one of us think that everybody in the church is our enemy. Get off of that kick. There's some people in this church that love you. It don't matter what's happened in your life. There's some people that love you and will stand by you. They're not going to swallow everything that you've done, hook, line, and sinker, but they're going to pray that God will bring you to a place of restoration. Somebody say yes. The beautiful thing about Naomi. God saw way in advance the attitude that she was going to have over what had happened in her life. And the fact that she was not going to allow the people that were her strength and her future livelihood and friends and neighbors, she was not going to allow herself to be ostracized from them by getting all caught up in this accusing them. They have mistreated me. They have done this or they've done that or they've done the other. I want you to know a lot of that junk is nothing but a trick of the devil to separate you from the people that really do love you and really do care for you and will feed you when you're hungry and you get out in the field. I want you to hear me. If you'll have the right attitude, God's going to allow a little old girl by the name of Ruth to come back home with you. And that little girl, Ruth, is going to find a place to work and glean in the field. And it's going to be the right place for her to find. How this has turned out to be one of the most awesome stories of a mistake that people made. But yet one of the most colorful stories of divine restitution. When repentance and, a, and an honest attitude will forego and take, to take ad, the, the preeminence over the negatives that somebody you may hear that they said or they said. People have had more repentance for things that they have done that were wrong. They've had more repentance stolen from them than what they could afford to have stolen. It don't matter who, who sides up to you and tells you, well, I think you were right by going to Moab. You, if you feel it 
if you feel it in your spirit that wasn't right and God has testified against me and I'm not going to push the point and I'm not going to try to justify myself. God has spoken. God has testified and who am I to try to justify? Don't let nobody justify you in your wrong if you know you did wrong. You let your repentance be the order of the day and if you repent and let that be your attitude God is going to come to your rescue so Ruth they just show up the exchange and then they find a place to stay and Naomi, boy, it's not a, it, it's not a nightmare anymore. She's back home. She knows the ropes here. She knows what to do here. And she says, Ruth, go out to the the gathering place where the workers who are gathering sheaves join yourself to some of them and go to the field and you just stay behind what they're doing and you just gather whatever the harvesters leave behind don't get out ahead and, 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 and go to no 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 you, you stay behind and you just gather what the harvesters leave. She didn't know whose field she had come to. <laughs> she just, when she gets home and tells Naomi, she comes with a, with a, it was unbelievable because while she was out there trailing the harvesters, picking up a, a sheave here and there, uh, the owner of the field comes by and says, who is this stranger? And somebody said, well, this, uh, this, this happens to be, you, you remember Naomi coming? Oh, yeah. Well, this is Naomi's daughter-in-law. Oh. Oh. Well, I'll tell you what, do. If that's Naomi's daughter-in-law, I'll tell you what, do. You just go along out of what you have gathered. And every once in a while, she's following you and gathering some that you thought you forgot. You just take a handful and on purpose drop it back behind you. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? When we have the right attitude, God will let the owner of the field show up and question about who you are. And when they find out who you are, it's going to strike a note somewhere deep. Oh my God, that's something, that's something that I need to be interested in. That's part of my kinsman. That's part of my family. So I'll tell you what, you go ahead and take care of her and just drop some along the way on purpose. 
she got back home and found out all that she had been able to glean and garner from what she had gathered and what the grain that she had brought home. Naomi was, was shocked, of course. My, how did this happen? Well, I, was, I, I happened to find myself gleaning in the field of Boaz. Oh, Boaz. That's a close kinsman to my husband. Oh, boy. I want somebody here tonight to know it didn't take Naomi long to find out the worth of being honest before God and confessing up front what her mistake was. The fact that she hadn't done everything right, but is anybody hearing me tonight? It don't take God long to let you know, I appreciate you being honest about what you're saying. I'm glad, I'm glad that somebody has been honest about it. And they found themselves by divine providence in the field of Boaz. Now, Naomi was just a little bit, I mean, she was very up to snuff on the ways. So she told her daughter-in-law again, now I'll tell you what, I want you to go. I want you to go to this certain place tonight. And when the meal is done and the food is, and, and, and Boaz is, is full and, and they've had their drink and all of this, and when everybody kind of slips away, I want you to find yourself a place at the feet. And poor little old Ruth, she said, okay. But there's no problem to her because this is a strange country to her anyhow. And she did exactly. And about midnight, her at the feet of this master of the farm that had fallen asleep and dozed off and most everybody else was evidently gone. He looks and said, who are you? And then she told him. And then the light starts coming through. And, and, and Boaz says, I'll tell you what. I don't want anything to happen until I get to the nearest kinsman redeemer. There's one person ahead of me in line to take Malin or Chilean, whichever one I think it was Malin, to take his rightful place. There's one ahead of me, but I want to make sure that he can't do it because I want to go ahead and raise up a name for my kinsman. And it happened to be what we call a kinsman redeemer. The nearest of kin could not do it. And Boaz says, it's my chance. And he takes Ruth and takes her to be his wife. And now you know it to be. Well, let me, let me go over to the last chapter 
of the book of Ruth. And let me, let me read it to you. Now these are the generations. Well, maybe I should start with verse 16. And Naomi took the child. Now this was Boaz and Ruth's child. Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Because of Naomi's honesty and spirit about her mistake, she didn't try to justify herself. She came clean with it all. But God vindicated her repentance and allowed Ruth to come with her. And Ruth became the bride of the kinsman redeemer and gave birth to a son who was the grandfather or in the lineage of David himself. And being in the lineage of David, he was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. How many of you would lift your hand and say, I've taken a few bad turns in my life. I made some bad decisions in my life. I've toyed with some things and took some trips that weren't in God's plan in my life. I made some decisions about what was good and what wasn't good, what was holy and what wasn't holy, what God loved and what God didn't love, what God accepted. And I'll tell you what you better do. You better be very careful putting your label on anything that you're not so sure about how God feels about it. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But your decision is not the one that matters. Everybody say, my decision don't mean beans. God's decision is the one that counts. How many of you understand that our idea in today's world that don't believe fat meets greasy, our opinions about what's holy and what, what's not holy don't amount to a hill of beans. It's God's decision about it. We better adjust ourselves to go to feeling the way God feels about some things because if we want to be justified in the end, we're going to have to have that kind of an attitude to say, God, you go ahead and be God and I'll love what you do and I'll do everything I can to embrace your decision about everything that's in my life. How I many of you found some pretty raunchy things happened in your life because you made some wrong decisions. But in a spiritual sense, I want you to stand with me as we affirm 
But somehow God allowed me to find the field of Boaz. Come on, say it with me. God allowed me to find the field of Boaz. And there were some things that was left on purpose for me that I didn't deserve to have. And God allowed me favor with Boaz that I didn't really deserve because I had a mother-in-law who had an attitude that was right. And me being from Moab, I became a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ because Moab or because Boaz, I'm sorry, was my kinsman redeemer. Somebody hear me tonight. None of us was worth anything because we had a track record and we came out of a world and we were worth just a whole lot of nothing. But somehow God put us in the right field. God gave us the right favor. And somehow now we have been taken in by the kinsman redeemer. And what's his name? Would you say it with me loud? Bottom line, if you want your life to be blessed of God and the fact that we're all human beings and we're so prone and subject to mistakes, if you will just simply make a decision, I'm going to be honest about it all and I'm going to let God be my God and I'm going to own up to the things that I need to own up to to let God call the shots in my life because I am so blessed to have this great salvation. I don't deserve it, but I am blessed to have it. I want somebody here tonight to know none of us really deserved a chance at an altar repenting of our sins, but our kinsman redeemer saw that we were worthy of it. He saw that we wanted it and we needed it. I'm glad for my salvation. Somebody scream it with me. I'm glad for my salvation. And if you're here tonight and you've never felt that you have gotten to first base in making things work for you, maybe it's because you have been trying to connive here and there and cover for yourself. You maybe not have, have never really known the beautiful art of repentance and God's forgiveness where God could take the broken pieces of your life and your shattered dreams. God could put it all together and make it beautiful. Is there anybody here tonight like that? I want every head bowed. I want people in this building tonight that say, Pastor, I didn't know what you was going to preach. Didn't know what was going to happen here. But maybe, maybe you've opened up some things to me tonight that I need to consider. Maybe I do need to come down to that altar and just say, God, I'm sorry. I haven't done everything right. 
I haven't been truthful about everything. And I want you to help me. I want you to pick up the pieces of my broken dreams. And I want you to help me to make the best of the rest of my life. I want people everywhere in this building that would like to come toward this front admitting what I've just asked you. I want God to take the broken pieces of my dream for my honesty and allow me to have the best for the rest of my life. Would you mind? Everybody, head bowed, eye closed. Come on. If you're in the building and you want to come front because we're going to pray together and we're going to pray for one another and we're going to pray that God would touch everybody's life in this building. God's going to do some miracles. God's going to do some things for some people here tonight. God's going to do some things for some people. Church, if there's anybody in the house, if you feel disposed, please ease to where somebody is. Let the Holy Ghost lead you right now. Reach out. Get a hold of somebody's hand and say, I would be so honored to walk with you toward the front. Let's work together, church. There's people here tonight that really want the things in their life to happen. They just don't know how to get there. Up until this point, they've just tried to make it the best way they know how to do it, and they didn't know a whole lot about how to do it. But tonight, tonight is a beautiful chance. I'd like for everybody to lift your hands and let's pray while those that would work the congregation and just invite people to come and pray with you right now. Come on, come on, come on. Find somebody and invite them toward the front. We want to have a good prayer meeting together. Somebody here tonight needs to find their kinsman redeemer. Somebody needs to find the field of Boaz. Somebody needs to know they need to find those handfuls that's dropped on purpose. God has provided a miracle for you. It's just that you've got to find it. You've got to find it. And pastor is preaching it to you tonight. That's beautiful. Come right on. Come right on. Sister Vani, I want you to start singing. Brother Landy, I turn the service. I want you all to work with whatever we feel in the Holy Ghost because somebody is in this house and you are poised for a miracle in your life. Church, while Sister Vani starts to sing, would you lift your hands one more time and let's pray. There's a soul that God wants to give an answer to. There's somebody that God wants to work a miracle in your life tonight. Let's pray and see to it.
There are people praying all over this building. Come on, lay hands on each other in the pew. Pray for each other. Pray for each other. Minister to each other in the Holy Ghost. Some might not be in the altar, but they need prayer right now. Minister among the crowd. Minister, minister. 